it is my prayer that this message will cause some of you to reflect and to think about the importance that the Jewish people and the nation of Israel plays for us as Christians. You know, Ezekiel 37 verse 12 says, I will bring you out of your graves and I will bring you to the land of Israel. And this is what literally happened um, 70 odd years ago at the end of World War II when the camps were liberated. Many of these men and women who were just skin and bones, they looked like they had come out of a grave. They literally, many of them literally walked to Israel from Europe. So I have a very uh, important message today and um, the, the title of the message is Understanding Israel. And uh, so let, let us pray. Father, we just pray today in Jesus' name as we're gathered uh, in this place. We know that you're a living God and you're a God who speaks. And Father, we just pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you're saying at this season, because I believe this is a word and season for those who are willing to hear it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. amen. Praise God. So, so the title of the message is Understanding Israel. And so you may ask the question, uh, Israel, why should I care? I mean, the country is, you know, over five and a half thousand kilometers away from here. So of what possible relevance or concern um, is its welfare to me? And so I would simply say that as believers, Israel and the Jewish people are of tremendous importance because without them, there would be no Bible, no prophets, no apostles, no church, no Christ, and ultimately no hope. And so it's beyond dispute that the Christian faith is deeply rooted in the Jewish faith. For again, both Old and New Testaments are contained uh, within the canon, uh, the, the sacred canon of Scripture. And so, again, whether you've read the Old Testament or not, um, if you have, you realize that the Jewish people take center stage. And uh, so, again, our stories, our histories, and I believe our destinies are intertwined. And so, yes, we should care. But hold off on the caring part uh, for the moment and let's simply concentrate on understanding because once you come to a place of understanding, caring comes naturally. And again, it should go without saying that caring about Israel and the Jewish people uh, doesn't mean that you don't care about Palestinians or Arabs because God loves uh, every one of them. And I think that's important to acknowledge that. But again, today we're talking about understanding Israel. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18 says, um, I pray, Paul is praying, he said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you would know the hope to which you have been called. Uh, Ephesians 4.18 talks about, it says, their understanding is darkened. So whether your understanding is enlightened or darkened, that, that is the question. And that's a very important question that every Christian needs to ask because understanding is important in our relationships but regards to Israel it's absolutely vital because without understanding God's plan 
for Israel, um, we may end up inadvertently fighting against God's purposes for Israel. And that never goes well for anyone. Just ask Hitler or Haman or the Romans or the five Arab nations that attacked Israel within hours of its rebirth in 1948. And, and miraculously, all of them were defeated. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, here it's addressing um, husbands and it says, uh, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So again, it's so important that we try to understand our wives, and and you know that involves some some effort. How many of you guys can say that? It, it, don't put your hand up. Um, <coughs> But it does. But the Bible says dwell with them with understanding. So understanding is important in any relationship, particularly in marriage. And, you know, while at times you may disagree or argue, you know, if it is so that you can come to a place of greater understanding, then it's worth it. Because let's be honest, at times we do argue. At times we do see things differently. But again, if after the argument we come to a place of understanding each other better, then, uh, you know, it is, it is worth it. And um, so somebody once said, arguing with your wife is like trying to read the terms of use on an internet site. Eventually, you just give up and say, I agree. <laughs> How many of you can say that? Sissy, you're wasting your time arguing. But uh, anyway, all jokes aside, understanding is a vital part of any healthy relationship. And so while the church is the bride of Christ, I think it's important for us uh, you know, to understand that the Jewish people are the family of Christ. Amen. And so as family, we should always treat each other with the utmost love, consideration and respect because we are related. And so, again, I appreciate that there are historical tensions between, you know, Jews and Christians and particularly a sad history of Christian anti-Semitism that many are oblivious to because it is cloaked um, in theology. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that that is what it is. And so uh, just because it, like I said, is, is um, just because anti-Semitism comes cloaked in theology doesn't mean that it's, it's not anti-Semitism. But, you know, Ephesians chapter 2 uh, and verse 13. And I want to read here. And it says, um, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have become, been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, uh, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And so that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And so here the Bible is, is, is talking about how, uh, you know, God miraculously is going to create one new man. And so the question is this, are Jews and Christians called to fellowship? Because the Bible talks about the fellowship of uh, this mystery. 
And um, uh, you know that word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia, which means fellowship, partnership, association, community, communion, or joint participation. And so again, the question is, are Jews and Christians called to fellowship? Yes. Um, Have Jews and Christians answered the call? No. Um, Because again, we're dealing with centuries of misunderstanding and mistrust. And so uh, the other thing I would add is this, as Christians, we can't fellowship with those whom we condemn. Okay. And so it's impossible to have a relationship with those whom you claim to have replaced. And, you know, in the light of the clear teaching of Scripture, I believe it is utterly wrong for us as Christians to claim that we have somehow um, replaced uh, Israel or the Jewish people. No, they are still beloved um, of God. They are still included. Um, Romans chapter 11 addresses this very issue, and this is Paul the Apostle talking. He said, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. So the Bible is explicit in saying that God hasn't cast aside his people. Amen. He still loves them. Um, Verse 28 and 29. And it says... Uh, concerning the gospel, there are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So the Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. One thing that I came to understand being a father is I'm not always pleased with my children, but they're always my children. And that's something that we need to remind ourselves because sometimes we can struggle with guilt or shame, or particularly when we're not walking the line as Johnny Cash once sang. And, and, and you know, all of us at times stumble and fall. But you know, I believe that applies to the Jewish people as well. Is that you know, God hasn't, just because um, you know, they might necessarily, not, or at least you know, some of them may not be walking with God, doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. Amen? He does. He loves the Jewish people. And so this being the case, we have a responsibility to understand the role role and significance of Israel in these end times. I'm not trying to minimize the differences that exist between Jews and Christians. Of course, they're two separate and distinct faiths. But I believe this, there's far more that unites us than separates us, amen? And so, you know, I appreciate that historically Christians have done some terrible things to Jews in the name of God. And the Jewish people, therefore, are rightfully um, suspicious and sometimes even hostile to any efforts by Christians to to reach out to them, okay? So you could say that Christians and Jews have a shared history that is both hopeful and enduring, uh, but also, uh, I suppose it's a history that at times is shameful and painful. And so, uh, you know, I understand why historically we have given each other a wide berth. And so studying history, you can see that Christians and Jews have been both friends and enemies at times. But uh, I, for one, uh, speak as a friend of Israel. And, and yet I'm mindful that there are others of you who may, uh, you, you know, uh, take a position as critics or even enemies of the state. And I would simply ask you today to open your heart and listen to what I have to say. Amen. Because I don't believe that legitimate criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. Um, Israel is not a, a perfect government any more than we have a perfect government. How many of you can say after the last two years um, you feel like that? But uh, again, um, I, 
you know, I, I think it's important that criticizing Israel isn't anti-Semitic, uh, but much of what passes for criticism of Israel today constitutes nothing more than misrepresentation, accusation, and often blatant and malicious lies. And so it's always easier for us to build walls. It's always easier to believe lies and you know, stay in your own side, your own corner, safe in the knowledge that you're right and everybody else is wrong. You know, it's, it's easy to embrace you know, uh, and to enforce, uh, I suppose, centuries of, of prejudice and, and um, you know, uh, bigotry, simply because it is what our forefathers may have believed. And, and so this is why, again, I think it, it, it's always more convenient to not have to think for yourself and to just follow on in the footsteps of those who went before you. But I believe as Christians, if we honestly desire to walk in the light, then we have to be open to change, amen? And we have to you know, think for ourselves because God expects us to choose truth over lies, to choose truth over tradition. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, uh, or 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so again, God calls us to, to honor and to value and to prize truth above culture and above uh, you know, tradition and even at times above religion. Because sadly, like I said, sometimes hatred of Israel and the Jewish people is rooted in bad theology and religion gone wrong. And you know, when religion goes wrong, it goes very wrong. So anyway, replacement theology is a lie, one that many denominations have embraced. You might say, well, what is uh, replacement theology? Replacement theology is this erroneous idea that God is finished uh, with Israel and with the Jewish people. And I don't believe that he is. He loves them. And if he loves them, we should love them too. Because it makes no sense to love the God of the Bible and yet hate the people of the Bible. And again, if you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, you will see you know, that, there, uh, that the people of the Bible are the Jewish people. That's why when you go to Israel, and I would encourage every person to go there at some stage, uh, you know, they say that Israel is the land where the Bible comes to life. And, uh, I, you know, I felt that myself when I was there, you know, um, in Caesarea and in Jerusalem and standing at the Western Wall. I mean, it's, it really is a fascinating uh, country. And so, uh, anyway, like I said, it's important we love the people of the Bible. But you might say, but pastor, they haven't received uh, Christ. Um, you know, Israel is a secular state. Uh, many of them don't even believe in God. Tel Aviv is a sinful city as is Dublin. Um, so again, all of that may be true, but Romans chapter 11 speaks of God's call on Israel. Let me ask you this. Do you have loved ones who are currently far from God? Are you praying for God's mercy and kindness to be extended towards them, even in their carnal, rebellious state? Of course. Well, then why not for our Jewish brothers and sisters? Because it is a double standard to pray for compassion for our loved ones, and yet condemnation for Israel and the Jewish people. Because have you forgotten that love does not let go? Love never fails. Well, the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty nine, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. And the Bible shows us that God loved Israel and the Jewish people long before we knew him. So God isn't finished with your loved ones and God isn't finished with Israel or the Jewish people. We need to be praying for both. Um, David Wilkerson said this, there is a spiritual Israel and a natural Israel. 
God is committed to both. Neither replaces the other. Because, you see, God has called us to stand with each other as Jews and Christians, if not as brothers, then at least as friends. Because one thing is certain, we have a shared past, and I believe that we have a shared future. Friendship, therefore, is vital to this. And surely, I I believe this friendship starts with the effort to understand each other. Because as a pastor, many times when I mention Israel, uh, particularly to other pastors, a lot of times it's just like, you know, complete disinterest. And even to other Christians. And I don't believe that should be the case. Um, And I'm reminded of the words of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5, where he warns the Pharisees, to leave the disciples alone or else they could end up fighting against God. And, you know, like I said, clearly there's been tensions between our respective faiths since the very beginning. But, you know, I think it would be quite ironic for us as Christians um, that we end up repeating the very same mistake as uh, the Jews made in the beginning in, in misunderstanding, uh, you know, the Christian faith. And, that, and, and so, you know, like I said, that, that we make the same mistake as the Jews made in the beginning in, in misunderstanding the early disciples. And so exactly how do we understand the Jewish people? Well, I believe there are three um, essential aspects. Uh, if you want to understand Israel and the Jewish people, there's three things. And firstly, understanding the people. Okay, so irrespective of whether you're male or female, black or white, from Ireland, America, Asia, Africa, as Christians, we owe a debt to Israel and the Jewish people that we will never be able to repay because let me say this Christ came as a Jew his disciples were all uh, Jewish the, you know the the, the um uh, you know, the, the, the Bible, uh, the scriptures that not only enlightened our lives, but the, the, the scriptures that helped to birth and form the very uh, societies and civilization in which we live um, and, and created the framework, like I said, for so much of what we call um, our, our countries and our societies, our civilization today, came through the Jewish people. And, you know, this isn't argument or conjecture or, or, or assumption. This is f- simple fact. The West was built on Judeo-Christian values. Um, you know, the, the West, as we know it, the Western world, um, wasn't built on the values of Muhammad or the values of Buddha or the, uh, the, the values of Krishna. The, 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 like I said, the Western world, as we know it, was built on the values as presented through the, 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 the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, so I think that's, that's important for us to understand that. So again... Uh, Jesus acknowledged the importance of the Jewish people when he said in John 4.22, salvation is of the Jews. So let me say this, no Jews, no salvation. Have you ever thought about that? Um, Because it's true, the Jewish people, that the Messiah came. And let me say this, this is why Satan hates them. This is why anti-Semitism is probably the oldest hate it's been there for millennia, and, and even in our modern, you know, educated world, it's still ever-present, and we can see it online, and, and see it in the attitudes that people hold. And so, but Satan hates them, uh, but as followers of Christ, uh, the Jewish rabbi, we owe it to ourselves, 
We owe it to our Father, we owe it to our faith, and we owe it to our Savior to love, appreciate, and understand his precious people, the Jews, because they are a chosen people beloved by God. And I say chosen because God sovereignly chose to reveal himself both to and true, the Irish people. God, God didn't choose to do that through the Africans or through the Europeans or through any other nationality. He chose the Jews to reveal himself, not just to them, but through them. Okay? And this is why, again, uh, the, the, the Jewish people are a called people. We see that call in Genesis chapter 12. And it's uh, the call of Abraham. And it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from out of your family, and from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. You know, the Jewish people are a blessing. You know, they, they, you know they, instead of charging for all of the technology that they have uh, gained in terms of uh, water treatment, they've just given it to the world. And, you know, as the ambassador just mentioned, whenever there's a disaster, teams go from Israel to go and help people. They've been a blessing. And um, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So, uh, you know, if you're cursing Israel, you're cursing God. If you're cursing the Jewish people, you're cursing God. You're cursing yourself. And, and so Isaiah chapter 41 again acknowledges uh, this call and uh, verse 8 and it says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham my friend, uh, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you, my righteous right hand. And verse 14, fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord. And you know, if you study history, it's clear that God has consistently helped the Jewish people. And so these, I believe these, these chapters acknowledge that sacred call. And let me say this, there is both a blessing and a curse depending on how you treat them. Because it says, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those uh, who curse you. You know, uh, Balaam discovered that you cannot uh, curse, uh, you, you, that you cannot bless those whom God has cursed, and you cannot uh, curse those whom God has blessed. And I, I would simply suggest that churches, denominations, uh, individuals, even entire nations are bringing a curse upon themselves because of their anti-Israel stance. And sadly, I would include Ireland in that list because you cannot disconnect the people from the nation. Deuteronomy 32, 35, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. Uh, in due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We have been warned. Uh, you know, those who embrace BDS and all sorts of lies and online tropes um, uh, about Israel and the Jewish people being the source of the problems of this world, um, uh, they're going to be judged. 
I mean, that is the lie that the Nazis propagated and people believed and it brought destruction on the, the nation of, of Germany. And so, again, let me say this, the excuse of I'm not anti-Zionist, I'm simply, uh, or sorry, I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm anti-Zionist. I believe that excuse is wearing very thin because Zionism is simply the belief that the Jewish people are entitled to live in their ancestral homeland. And, and again, if you feel that you have the right to say that Jews cannot live somewhere, that, I, I, I think that's a very uh, dangerous direction for anybody to be taking. Uh, can I say this? Uh, do I, as an Irishman, ha- have the right to live in Ireland? Do Ukrainians have the right to live in the Ukraine? Do the British have the right to live in Great Britain? Well, then surely, in the same way, the, the, the people of Israel have the right to live in their ancestral land. And um, so they have a right, a God-given right to live in Israel. Zechariah 2.8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eyes, the new living. After a period of glory, the Lord of heaven's armies sent me against the nations who plunder you. For he said, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. You cannot understand God's dealings with the Jewish people or their miraculous survival in the face of literally thousands of years of hatred unless you first understand that they're called and beloved by God. Psalm 124 and it says, um, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say, if the Lord had not been on our side, when men rose up against us, when, uh, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The streams would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. How else can you explain the fact that almost 2,000 years after their nation was conquered and destroyed by the Romans and their people enslaved and scattered to the four winds, um, that you know they still managed over that 2,000 years to maintain their identity, their culture, and their faith. And miraculously, their nation was reborn along with their language. Uh, this has never happened in the history of mankind. Um, it was David Ben-Gurion, uh, Israel's first prime minister, who said, in Israel, in order to be a realist, you must believe in miracles. So again, Israel's continued survival in the face of such hostility and blind hate is nothing short of a miracle. You know, Isaiah chapter 40 calls on us to comfort my people. And uh, it says, comfort, yes, comfort my people. So God is specifically referring here to the Jewish people. Can we really comfort those uh, whom we refuse to care about or understand? And again, you might say, well, why should we care as Christians? Well, again, you could say Christianity um, emerged from Judaism. Now, I mean, it's very clear that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Um, So Christianity wasn't an afterthought um, uh, or or a good idea. I believe our faith is born of God. And, you know, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to the Father but by me. So, again, you know, Jesus Christ is the way. But there is no doubt that the historical foundation of Christianity is Judaism. Because the Old Testament patriarchs, 
bishops and prophets, apostles, and even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, were all Jews. They prayed in Hebrew. They studied Hebrew scriptures. They observed Jewish customs, traditions, and feasts. Uh, Most of the early church were Jews as well. Now, let let me just add to this. Um, I don't feel any particular need to return to a Jewish style or form of Christianity. Okay, so to be quite honest, some Christians act really weird um, about this subject, and in some ways, they end up turning a lot of Christians off, ever showing appreciation for Israel. Okay, so um, turn to your neighbor and say, don't be weird. Um, But I'm trying to give you some context on why I believe that Israel matters. um, uh, Because the closer you get to the origins of the Christian faith, the more Jewish it becomes. And so again, like I said, I'm not asking you to get circumcised or to wear a prayer shawl or to stand on your apartment balcony at 6 o'clock blowing a shofar. Okay, you don't have to do that to, to, to love Israel and the Jewish people. But I am asking you to love and to respect the Jewish people because God chose to personally identify himself with them. He even referred to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Exodus 3.15, Acts 7.32. You know, in Psalm 41 and 13, he is referred to as the God of Israel. And so the Jewish people are unique in this regard. Clearly, God loves them and considers them to be very special to him. And again, you may have to go back over this, uh, you know, replay uh, to get the Bible. I don't have time to go into all the Bible verses. I want to do this in one go because I think it's a very important message. And so God loves them and considers them to be very special to him. Deuteronomy 7 and 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. You see, they are a unique people with a unique calling. And remind yourself of many of these beautiful promises that we claim for ourselves were first and foremost given to the Jewish people. That is who, whom God was speaking to. And, and uh, so you might say, but yes, pastor, but the people in Israel today are different. Of course they are. We're 2,000 years down the road. All the original Jews are dead. Okay, so, because sometimes people say, well, they're from Russian or American or or African um, uh, descent. Yes, they are. Um, Because, you know, God has brought them back from the nations to which he originally scattered them. And uh, I, I think it's important to understand, you know, the term Israel describes the people and nations descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In, in view of this, you could say that Jews and Israel are synonymous terms. You can't really make a distinction between the two. You know, Derek Prince points out that Israel is mentioned 77 times in the New Testament, and not once does that refer to the church. Each time it is referring to the Jewish people. And just by way of comparison, 77 references to Israel, three references to Christians. So so maybe we need to be a little bit more humble in our attitude to the Jewish people. Because I believe our lack of interest in engaging our understanding, engaging with our understanding, Israel and the Jewish people grieves the heart of God. And I believe it is one reason why we haven't seen revival in our nations. Amen. Because let me say this, God cannot and will not bless those who deliberately or inadvertently curse his people, the the Jewish people. Amen? And so, uh, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 3. 
And it says, and Moses uh, went up to the God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore them on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Amen? So... You cannot understand anti-Semitism outside of this sacred call, amen? And this is why, you know, it is an unreasoning, an unreasoning hatred that thrives even to this very day. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 2. And it says, for you are a holy people to the Lord, your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so if replacement theology is correct, and I don't believe it is, but if it is correct, then much of the scriptures are rendered utterly meaningless because they are referring to a, a, a people who no longer exist um, and no longer have any significance in God's eyes. This simply cannot be. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I don't, Jesus, I don't believe Jesus was simply talking about his words. He was talking about the sacred canon of scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Okay, so again, um, God hasn't forgotten his people. Revelation 7, 4 and 14, 1 to 3 refers to the 144,000. And this, is, this would be um, uh, you know, widely believed to refer to Jewish evangelists who in the end days will preach the good news of Jesus Christ after the church has been taken out. And these will be the very last to proclaim uh, the gospel of the kingdom uh, as Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the nations then the end shall come if we're raptured today we're not going to be the last ones to preach this gospel the bible says that angels are going to preach it but the book of revelation says that the jewish people will one day proclaim it because let me say this it started with the jews and it will end with the jews so firstly the people secondly the land a two-bed apartment in Dublin costs somewhere between two to two and a half thousand, depending on the area you're looking in. And you might say, Pastor John, that sounds like a snazzy area. Well, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be anymore. Uh, but anyway, it's somewhere in that region. London uh, probably costs you two and a half to three and a half thousand um, upwards, and New York would be something similar. Property is very expensive. I remember when we were looking for a house last year, we went to look at one house, and there was uh, about 10 cars parked there and and they had a rota so you know you had to tell them and they would give you you would get your turn you would be allowed 10 minutes to look at this house and and so it was it was very discouraging because there was just a line of cars waiting to see this this house and um so you know property in the in the dublin area and and in general is hard to get you know a week doesn't come by when we don't get a message from somebody uh, looking for a place to stay but i'm a pastor not a property developer I don't know where they're asking me. So, but it's interesting that, you know, that it's, it's a lot of the very similar issues throughout the Western world. Property is overpriced and, and very sought after in our towns and our cities. But the most hotly disputed piece of real estate in the world is a tiny sliver of land that's smaller than Munster. Um, and that piece of land is located between the Middle East and the Mediterranean, the land of Israel. And ironically, much of that land is formerly a desert. And so the question is, is this a promised land or a disputed territory? Well, it depends on whether you consider the Bible to be uh, the inspired word of God or not. 
Last year, our DAW uh, passed a motion to condemn the so-called annexation of, of uh, uh, you know, uh, annexation of, of uh, Palestinian land. Um, you know, there's a left-wing party called People Before Profit. They wanted to go a step further and have the ambassador of Israel expelled from the nation. Thankfully, that motion didn't uh, pass. Um, uh, but you know, again, it's an indication of the of the you know the the. the uh, the, the dark areas that we're moving into as a nation. This is why we have to pray because the Bible, there's an irreversible principle. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I don't want to live in a cursed nation. So the question is this, how can you annex land that is yours both historically and biblically? Because when Western governments and NGOs and journalists refer to the so-called occupied West Bank, they're actually referring to Judea and Samaria where much of the Bible was actually written. And so I think that's important for us to understand as, as Christians. Now, the other thing is this. Um, this is the area where, like I said, the Bible was written and where the Jewish people have had a continual presence for approximately three and a half thousand years. Uh, I mean, that, that is a, a long time. And I'm not saying that Israelis can simply come and take land and dispossess Arabs of, their, uh, of land that, that, that they own. But neither am I denying uh, the connection that the Jews have to that area. And nor do we have the right to say that Jewish people are not allowed to buy land and settle there simply because they, have to be, because they happen to be of uh, Jewish ethnicity. Because that's called ethnic cleansing. And if you study history, you know, there's a disturbing precedent for this set by the Nazis long before they ever sent them to, to, the, um, to the, the camps like Auschwitz and, and, and other, other places like that. They, they started to close Jewish businesses and tell Jews they couldn't live in certain areas. And as we saw in the, in the Warsaw Ghetto where the, the Nazis gathered, you know, thousands of, of Jewish people. And, and so again, I think this is... Um, you know, it's very important for us to understand this. And, and I understand it's not a simple situation, you know, particularly in light of the tensions that exist between, uh, you know, Arabs and Jews, um, you know, along with the international interference of other nations and, you know, the terrorist activities of Hamas and Palestinian Authority because uh, both of those organizations pay the families of those who kill Israelis. They, they reward the, their families um, for those who, who murder uh, Israelis. And I think that's, that's very, very sad. Um, but I, I would simply say this. Um, to say that Jews have no right to live in their indigenous in, in the land to which they're indigenous is grossly unfair as well as an extremely bad taste considering our recent history here in Europe where over six million innocent men, women and children uh, were, were murdered in cold blood. Um, you know, on Twitter I follow the uh, Auschwitz Museum and every day they share pictures of, of, of little children who, who tragically, uh, you know, their lives were cut short. Kids four, five, six years of age that were, that were murdered and along with their families. And I think that is an awful thing. And therefore, I, I, re I really feel as Europeans, the best thing we could do is to really shut up and, uh, and, and just pray that God's going to bring peace there. But, you know, it's very arrogant for us, like I said, to be um, considering our history. So, you know, it's interesting the Irish government had chosen to speak on the issue of annexation, and yet 
remain utterly silent on China's treatment of the, uh, the Uyghur Muslims and China's invasion of Tibet and occupation of Tibet. But I'm, I'm sure they have a reason, uh, most likely money. You know, the, the core issue is that many Arab and uh, Muslim states don't want Israel to exist at all, even though uh, recently some have thankfully been normalizing uh, ties with Israel, such as the UAE. And so, sadly, many Western governments have sided with the critics of Israel because it's financially beneficial to play along with them. You know, Iran have openly stated their desire to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And so, again, it's not about land. If you look at a a map of the Middle East and look at the amount of land um, held by uh, Muslim nations and this tiny little sliver of land in the middle, it's not about land. It it is about the existence of the, uh, the Jewish state of Israel. And, um, you know, this is the tragedy is that Israelis face daily terror attacks. You know, three people were murdered just in recent days. Um, uh, You know, there's this consistent international censure through the UN, um, which has lost all sense of of propriety or fairness um, or objectivity. Uh, And yet, in spite of all of these issues, the Jews do not leave the land. The Israelis don't leave that land. And the question is why? Well, I believe, firstly, they're called to be there. Do you know the book of Jewish law, uh, the Talmud, which is second only importance to the Bible to Jewish people, speaks of the importance of the Holy Land and the obligation of Jews to live there, as well as belief in the ultimate return of the Jewish people. And so, secondly, in light of rising anti-Semitic attacks, we are seeing anti-Semitic attacks in New York and uh, in the last week or two in Belgium, in various European cities, various places around the world, people being attacked simply because they're Jewish. And, you know, whether we like it or not, some of that is is related to, um, you know, immigration. uh, Because, like I said, if you come from a part of the world, uh, you know, the Islamic world, where uh, Jews are absolutely hated, just because you've changed changed your geography doesn't mean it has changed your beliefs. And so we're, we're witnessing that here in Europe. And um, so again, I think Israel is becoming one of the only safe places. It was uh, Golda Meir, the uh, fourth prime minister of Israel, who said, we Jews have a secret weapon in our war with the Arabs. We have nowhere else to go. We have to fight. And thirdly, God gave the land to the Jews by covenant. Uh, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 17. Thank you for staying with me. I believe this is a tremendously important message. So it says, It came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that the pole there appeared a smoking oven and a burning touch torch passed through the pieces on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your descendants I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates so the question is do you believe what the Bible says Uh, Genesis 17 and verse 8 also I give to your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God so God gave them that land as an everlasting possession But you might say, but pastor, that was thousands of years ago. So was Calvary. So was Calvary. Has the blood of Jesus lost any of its power over the last 2,000 years? In the same way, God's promises, like I said, are eternal. And they're, they're unconditional. And so, again, is Jesus any less powerful? Are his promises any less applicable today? Of course not. 
Second Peter 3 verse eight, but you must know this, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. But you might say, but didn't Israel end with the sack of Jerusalem in AD 17, AD 70, just as Christ has prophesied? Well, you can see the, the Titus arch to this very day uh, in, in Rome, and that arch was built to commemorate uh, this very occasion of the destruction of Jerusalem. But it also serves as an impartial reminder that Jerusalem belonged to the Jews, not to the Arabs, because on that Titus arch, you see them taking this huge menorah and other Jewish articles from the temple. And, uh, and so th- th- there's no doubt uh, you know, that the land has a Jewish um, history as confirmed by the Bible, because no one could ever accuse the Romans of being pro-Jewish. Um, uh, but, but again, Israel has a Jewish history as confirmed by the Bible, by archaeology, and by ancient prophecy. But you know, many misunderstand prophecy because they look at it in a linear rather than in a layered manner. Which, mean, which I'm, what I mean is that there's different layers um, or levels at which a prophecy may be fulfilled. So think of it more in cyclical terms, that there's a cycle to that prophecy. There's various levels at which that prophecy will be fulfilled. A case in point is this. Antiochus was the fourth king of Syria and he captured Jerusalem um, and he offered a pig in the temple and set up an altar to Zeus in fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel 9.27 where it speaks about the abomination of desolation. And yet, amazingly, 200 years later almost, Jesus quotes this very same uh, verse in Daniel in Luke 21 and Matthew 24, 15 and 16 in relation to the future reign of the Antichrist. And so we see that there's different layers to that uh, prophecy. And, uh, and, you know, Antiochus was long dead when Jesus was giving that prophecy. And so, yes, ancient Israel did end in AD 70, but there are many Jews who remained in the land over the next 2,000 years. And so we see that ancient Israel entered into the, 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 you know, following all of the other various civilizations and cultures that were conquered, um, ancient Israel entered into the realm of, of legend and myth. And that should have been the end of the story. But amazingly, um, almost 2,000 years later, May 14, 1948, the world witnessed the miraculous rebirth of Israel as a nation. You know, Isaiah 66, 7 to 9 asks, can a nation be born in a day? And, uh, you know, God remembers the covenant he swore to Abraham. And yet, amazingly, in one day, the nation of Israel was uh, reborn. And he is a God who keeps covenant. Deuteronomy 7, 9, therefore know the Lord your God, he is the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. You see, it doesn't matter how many years have passed or how unfaithful the the Jewish people may have been at times, um, God is still faithful even when we are not. And he has kept Israel. What I mean, when I refer to Israel, I'm referring to the land of Israel, but also the Jewish people because they are eternally linked. 
You know, there are those who would like to deny the the link between the land and the people, uh, between the Holocaust and the rebirth of Israel. But to me, it is very evident that they are connected. You know, Ezekiel 37 verse 12 says, I will bring you out of your graves and I will bring you to the land of Israel. And this is what literally happened um, 70 odd years ago at the end of World War II when the camps were liberated. Many of these men and women who were just skin and bones, they looked like they had come out of a grave. They literally, many of them literally walked to Israel from Europe. And that's why, again, I think as Europeans, we need to adopt a much more humble attitude towards the the Jewish people. Because the Bible says, I will bring you out of your graves. Those graves, unfortunately, were in Europe. And it is to our, our shame that it happened here. And so there's a supernatural bond that exists between the Jewish people and the land of Israel. God gave it to them by covenant, and this is why for 2,000 years they didn't quit. Ben-Gurion captured the source of their spirit in 1936 in a speech he gave to the Peel Commission. 300 years ago, they came to the New World, a boat, and its name was the Mayflower. The Mayflower's landing in Plymouth Rock in America was one of the great historical events in history of England and in the history of America. But I would like to ask any Englishman sitting here on the commission, what day did the Mayflower leave port? What date was it? I'd like to ask the Americans, do they know what date the Mayflower left port in England? How many people were on the boat? Who was their leaders? What kind of food did they eat on the boat? More than 3,300 years ago, long before the Mayflower, our people left Egypt. And every Jew in the world, wherever he is, knows what day they left. And he knows what food they ate. And we still eat that food every anniversary. And we know uh, who our leader was. And we sit down and tell the story to our children and grandchildren in order to guarantee that it will never be forgotten. And we say our two slogans. Now we are enslaved. Now we may be enslaved, but next year we'll be a free people. Now we are behind the Soviet Union and their prison. Now we're in Germany where Hitler is destroying us. Now we're scattered throughout the world. But next year, we'll be in Jerusalem. There'll come a day when we'll come home to Zion, to the land of Israel. This is the nature of the Jewish people. I find so much hope in their story in the story of the Jewish people because one of the reasons, you know, if you listen to a lot of my sermons, a very common theme is freedom because I believe freedom is a theme that runs through the Bible. But that theme comes from the Jewish people. It says God heard their cries when they were slaves in Egypt and he set them free. And, and in many respects, you know, anybody like William Wilberforce or, or others who sought to abolish slavery, the Bible was their inspiration. Amen, because God wants you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. How many of you glad today that you are free in Jesus' name? You know, Isaiah 35 says, the desert shall blossom as the rose. And we're witnessing a miraculous response of the land to the people. Because Israel was a former um, wasteland, and yet it's become a, a, a huge producer and exporter of food to the world. You know, the early settlers who came to Israel, um, uh, you know, came to a land that was a malaria, in, in, uh, you know, infested swamp or else desert. 
And yet, by God's grace, they transformed their land into a thriving agricultural economy along with IT and all the other things. You know, uh, 1866, Mark Twain, the American writer, traveled through the Holy Land. He wrote this, the further we went, the hotter the sun got, and the more uh, rocky and bare, repulsive and dreary the landscape became. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, those fast friends of worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. Why was this? Because Israel was ruled by the Ottoman Turks, and they had imposed a, a, a tax on the nation, a, a tax on any tree. So all of the trees were cut down because people didn't want to pay taxes. And because of that, the land turned into a, a barren desert. And yet, when the Jews began to return to the land, uh, the land began to blossom as the Bible had prophesied. And so, as Christians, we need to understand why the Jews want to live in the land of Israel. It's the land of their forefathers. They're indigenous to the nation of Israel. And archaeology confirms it. The Bible confesses it. And as the church, we should celebrate it. Because their return to the land simply confirms what God has always already prophesied. Deuteronomy 31 to 5. Isaiah 11, 11 and 12. Um, Jeremiah 29, 14. Ezekiel 20, 41 and 42. So all of these Bible verses prophesied the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 20. I'm just going to read it for you. And it says... And it says, I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you've been scattered and I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country from which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. So this is so important for us to grasp. The return of the Jews to the land of Israel is not accidental, it was prophesied. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you, you and your children, with all your heart and all your soul, that the Lord will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And uh, it says, if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts of the heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Do you know the Christ that uh, the Jews have even been re returning from Ethiopia, from Russia, from so many different nations. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. Amen. That is what the Bible says. The Jews were scattered from Israel in the beginning and now they're being gathered to Israel at the end because it started in Israel and it will end in Israel. Just, just a few minutes and I'm finished. The people, the land, and lastly, the city. Lashana, Habana, Yerushalayim. I know I've butchered that pronunciation. It's just, it just simply means next year in Jerusalem. And it's a phrase that's often sung at the end of the traditional Pas Passover cedar and at the end of the, the Nirala service on Yom Kippur. It's interesting, the very last words spoken at Passover by Jews is next year in Jerusalem. These are very significant words as they symbolize, you know, the, 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 the journey of the Jewish people. Um, you know, the, the phrase is a reminder of past suffering and loss, but it's also a promise of future hope and restoration. You see, Jerusalem has always been central to that hope. And so I cannot address understanding Israel without talking not only about the people and about the land, but about the city.
You see, for almost 2,000 years, the Jews were faced with the choice of being exiled abroad or living as slaves in their own land. And yet, many of them chose to live in the land anyway. When the Ottomans were defeated in World War I and the land of Israel, and the Pal- uh, and the land of Israel or Palis- Palis- Palestine as it was then known, the-, the name Palestine came from the Romans when they destroyed Jerusalem. They, called, they renamed it Palestine as an, a, a, a final parting insult to the Jewish people. They named it after the Israelis' ancient enemies, the Philistines. But when the Ottomans were, were defeated in World War I, um, because they had sided with uh, Germany, um, uh, the area of Palestine entered uh, under the remit of Great Britain. And, you know, it's fascinating that the British general, General Gordon, who led his troops into Jerusalem, when he reached the gates of this ancient city, it says he stepped down off his white horse and he walked through the gates. And he explained to his troops, the only person entitled to enter Jerusalem riding a white horse is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Isn't that beautiful? God bless that man and his humility. Even though he was in front of a conquering army, he chose to humble himself. And you know, Psalm uh, 137 says, if I forget Jerusalem, um, let my hand forget my skill. You know, for 2,000 years, the Jews did not forget Jerusalem. But even after the rebirth of Israel, May 14, 1948, they still didn't have any authority over Jerusalem. That was until the Six-Day War in 1967, when uh, Jordan, Syria, and Egypt um, fought against Israel, and miraculously again, Israel uh, won. Um, It was a defensive war, as were all of Israel's wars. They were defensive wars. They weren't looking um, uh, for, for trouble. But it proves the point. When the enemy tries to curse you, God will bless you. You know, Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper. How many of you know no weapon formed against the Jewish people, the nation Israel, or us as the people of God will prosper? Amen? So Zechariah 12 and 2, it says, I'll make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes uh, the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judea. In that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. The NIV uh, says, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock, and the nations of all who try to move it will injure themselves. So again, this is the word of God. Um, Zechariah 12, 9, on that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. We have been warned, it has been written. And just as Jerusalem has been a stumbling block uh, to many uh, down through the ages, uh, Jerusalem seems to be a city that politicians and journalists and so many others seem to be unable to resist the temptation of tampering with that city. My prayer is that Jerusalem will never be divided. You know, in 2017, in the face of international criticism, the worship group can come forward, but in the face of international criticism, Uh, President Donald Trump courageously declared that he was going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And not only that, he would move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which he did. And it upset many who hate the Jewish people, but surely it is the right of a people to choose the capital of their nation. 
He simply acknowledged their choice. And, and truly, Jerusalem has been recognized as the capital of Israel since King David conquered it 3,000 years ago. Think about that. He conquered it from the Jebusites. And so, again, there are those who call on Israel to return Jerusalem. And I would simply say, to whom exactly? Because Jerusalem belongs to the Jews. It always has, and it always will. Do you know the first temple was built um, in Jerusalem by the Jews 2,957 years ago, roughly. It was nine, it was, they built the first temple 957 BC. That's almost 3,000 years ago they built their temple. Psalm 122 verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. The NIV, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. It says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And you can infer from that that God is telling us to pray for Israel because Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. God asks us to pray. He commands us to pray for Israel. Because again, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. We get to choose the capital of Ireland, right? Which is Dublin. I'm here in the capital city. You know, the capital of uh, Great Britain is London. The capital of, of France is Paris. So why not Israel? But uh, may those who love you be secure. I, I find that extremely sobering because even in this verse, there is a warning. If our nations seek to dismantle Israel, God will dismantle our nations. This is why we must be praying for our politicians. Joel 3 and 1 and 2. It says, in those days... And at that time, when I restore Judah and Jerusalem from captivity, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my people, my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations as they divided up my land. I knew I wasn't going to get a whole lot of amens and praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus. But it is my prayer that this message will cause some of you to reflect and to think about the importance that the Jewish people and the nation of Israel plays uh, you know, for us as Christians. You know, Jeremiah 3.17 refers to Jerusalem as the throne of the Lord. Because one day, our Lord and Savior will reign from this city. Because just as there is an earthly Jerusalem, there is also a heavenly one. You know, just as marriage is an earthly reflection of a heavenly reality... A man takes his bride, so too Christ takes the church, the bride of Christ. So too Jerusalem is an earthly reflection of a heavenly city. Amen. And in case you didn't realize it, that's where we are all going to go one day. So let us make the effort to understand and appreciate Israel and her people. Because Jesus himself said, look to the fig tree referring to Israel. You see, Israel is God's timepiece. And as we see the nations of the world rising up against Israel and the Jewish people, it is an indication for us that the time is short. Christ is coming. Amen. And so it is of great significance, therefore, that Jerusalem is once again uh, under Jewish control after 2,000 years. I'm not going to go to the verses, but Luke chapter uh, 24 and 50 and 51 talks about how Christ ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. 
And the book of Zechariah 14, 3, 4, 8, and 9 refers to how one day Christ will return and it says his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Because it started with the Jews and it will end with the Jews. It started in the land and it will end in the land. It started in the city and it will end in the city.